0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Super Review Show. Not for mixed bag tonight. Yes, it's Wednesday. Normally, we do mixed bag on Wednesday night, but I am doing a special uh, broadcast tonight with my good man, Kyle. He is a huge Green Day fan. Hello, Kyle. How are you doing tonight?
1: Hey, good. How you been?
0: Been good. Been good. Um So what I wanted to do with Kyle for a while, for those of you who may, I may, I may have mentioned him once or twice. He is a massive, like, bleeds Green Day fan. He loves Green Day to death. Um, One of the things that I've always loved, I've always wanted to talk about him because his favorite album of all time is 21st Century Breakdown from 2009, which is obviously a Green Day album. So I wanted to just shed some light on the album and ask him a couple of questions and uh, some stuff that's not really on YouTube yet about this album that I wanted to talk about with him because he is the Green Day guy. I know him. He's a Green Day nut and uh, we're going to get into it. So I'm, I'm glad to have you here. So
1: Glad to be here.
0: All right. So let's get to it. Let me start sharing my screen here. While we, For those of you who are listening to us, you, I'm sure you may know what we're talking about. But if you're, if you're watching us live now on YouTube, we're going to be talking about 21st Century Breakdown which is the Green Day album from 2009. Just a little before we get into our questions Kyle, what can you tell me about this album really quick? Like what what are some like initial thoughts or impressions that you get off of this album?
1: The initial thoughts and impressions. I, to me this is the definitive Green Day album. This was the definitive this is Green Day's sound. They you know they started it with American Idiot. They perfected the 21st Century Breakdown. And, you know, I, I love all this stuff. I wish they kept on this track. I understand why they didn't, you know, bit of a dark period in band's history. So I, I get it. And I know, you know, a lot of work, like almost four or five years of work went into this album. Um, it's all around a masterpiece. There's not a single song on it that I think is a bad song, which is very rare for me. I think every song, I think there's only one song, on, and I'll get into that later, that i could have done without that i think was a you know seven out of ten song (laughs) but i mean you know overall i I would say this is peak green day green day firing on all cylinders their best not only musically best album but best period for the band as a whole
0: all right well that's That's about sums it up for me. I mean, as far as like that initial thoughts go. So let's get into the couple of questions that I've come up with for you being the super hardcore 21st century breakdown guy that you are. So what position was Green Day in coming off of American Idiot? Were they were they more popular than than they were in the 1990s?
1: See, that's tough. I would venture to say yes, because they already had their popularity from the 90s. And, you know, over the years, it was waning down dookie you know obviously monumental album in the 90s one of the biggest punk albums you know more long lines of like what would become pop punk but either way one of the biggest albums of the 90s over time they kind of you know started to fizzle out with warning being not well received at the time now people look back on it and they have a little bit different feelings on it so when they made american idiot they were really going for something big there Uh, they just said we're just going to go for this we're going to do it and it worked out they ended up having what most artists most groups do not have which is a huge resurgence in their career not only bringing them bring older fans that may have fallen off back but bringing in a whole new generation of fans i know i myself found them from american idiot 2004 Mm. i heard the opening chords of that album i was hooked i went back went through their entire discography purchased everything you know the the whole nine yards that's what got me into music as a whole and i think that's the same case for a lot of people around my age at the time i remember everyone had that album so they were massive you know they were doing huge uh shows they did the bullet in a bible live album uh you know just massive stadium shows arenas you know the whole nine yards So they were huge, you know, even down to doing that song, The Saints Are Coming, with, you know, icons like you too. So they were massive. So following that up, not an easy task. No, it was just kind of where are they going to go from here? Uh, Are they going to keep this political thing going, which they very often get mislabeled, in my opinion, a political band. I think while they do have hints of politics in there, I don't think that's what they w- were going for or what they wanted to be the case. I think that it's less about politics and more about just the social climate and just things going on in the world as a whole. So again, to that later uh, when we discuss more.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I mean, you know, they were in a tough place following uh, probably one, not only one of the biggest albums of the 2000s, one of the biggest and most monumental albums of all time. So, you know, they really just had to get down in the studio and just hit it out of the park. And I think they succeeded that, uh, whether or not critically and, you know, the fans agree, I think a lot of people would. But, you know, critically didn't get as much acclaim as American Idiot.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right. Um, my second question for you is going into 21st Century Breakdown, what sort of musical inspirations were they getting into? Because I hear, was it mainly pop punk or because I know that they covered Bob Dylan's Like a Rolling Stone during the sessions, as far as I know.
1: They did. Uh, that is, if anyone has not heard it, it was a great cover of the song. It was actually released as a bonus track for, I have it right here, let me just double check it. It was actually one of the iTunes pre-order bonus tracks. Remember when those were a thing? Oh, yeah. Uh, There was also a cover on there of That's All Right by Elvis. Uh, Not as good. It's very uh, interesting. You know, if you haven't heard it, definitely recommend checking it out. Funny story about that is they actually didn't remember recording that one. I remember listening to Billy give a story about how he was in a store and their version started playing and he was confused and didn't remember recording it but really pop punk i don't think has ever been a big influence on the band i think that it really more goes back to specifically for this album those old 70s 80s even like some 60s classic rock acts here and i think that really shines through on the more like operatic like grand epic songs like you don't have your of suburbia or your homecoming on here, but you even 21st century breakdown, multiple parts song has those just sweeping like iconic parts. Same thing, American eulogy, just the multiple parts of it. That's something that really doesn't exist in the pop punk world. If anything, the more punk aspects I think come from just their background in like, you know, the early nineties, like Gilman, like late eighties, like Gilman, West coast punk that kind of stuff but i think that doesn't really come through as much on this album as the more classic rock does i mean a lot of critics even compared it to old things like by the who which they actually did a cover of a quick one while he's away that's right Uh, also an itunes deluxe edition bonus track for this album probably my favorite green day cover they did that song justice so well, honestly, in my opinion, better than who did it. Like that's maybe controversial opinion there, but Mm -hmm. I think that this album really shows that they wanted to lean into those more classic rock aspects and kind of go for that. Not so much a concept album as American idiot was, but more of just like Mm -hmm. a rock opera styled album. And I think they succeeded with that. I mean, they had the album split to three different parts um, mm-hmm. story is not as cohesive as you know American Idiot it's more just loose threads throughout I would say yeah mostly classic rock influences all over this um, <clears throat> some punk here and there uh, they did do one of the covers that's a bonus track was uh, another state of mind originally by social distortion that kind of gets thrown under the rug a lot I really like that cover it's pretty by the books but mm-hmm. really that's Honestly, probably the most punk they get from this era.
0: All right. Awesome. Um, my third question for you, my good man, is yep. that what, what was the recording process like for them? How long were the sessions? Do you know how long the sessions were for the album?
1: So I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, okay. What I do know is they did start writing early stages for this album. It was either on the road after, like during the winding down of the American Idiot touring, uh, or directly after. So like two thousand, late 2005, 2006 or so uh, okay. would have been when it would have started. I believe they didn't go into the studio to record until 2008. In between this time period, we did get the more fun Foxborough Hot Tubs album. So that was kind of like a avenue to get the more like fun garage rock style that the band wanted to get out so i mean there was other things coming out through this time but it, it was about five it was a five-year period between albums here
0: wow believe. and that was yeah, long yeah, as a fl- yeah go ahead
1: yeah i was saying that i think it's the longest to this day that they've ever gone without an album not counting foxborough hot tubs in there
0: and for those of you who are unaware, Fox 4 Hot Tubs is one of Billy Armstrong's side band projects.
1: Yeah, that was actually the, the full band with a couple other guys. Um, great shows. I really bummed I didn't get a chance to be at the original ones. Uh, mm-hmm. And they haven't done, they did a couple shows a few years back in other states that I wasn't able to get to. But they used to be like these crazy fun, like 21 plus only shows or like small bars and stuff. But uh, very fun album. Highly recommend checking that out, too. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, my fourth question for you, my man, is uh, what is your favorite song off the album? I know this might be a bit of a loaded question, but just out of curiosity, because it is your favorite album of all time. So, yeah. So.
1: Three songs. I go back and forth between three. Um, okay. the static Age. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about that song. I don't think many people have that. Even in the top half of Green Day songs, it's a pretty by-the-books Green Day song. But there's just something about it, the lyrics, I feel like it's such a relevant song, even today. Mm-hmm. And then the other two picks I have, maybe more common, definitely more common than that one. 21st Century Breakdown. The title track, that whole intro to the album, it's amazing. Everything from it, the like self introspective lyrics from Billy and just the way it goes through seamlessly, the different parts of that song, it just comes off as epic. It's such a way to kick off the album. And then American Eulogy, Mm. that song, you know, it gives Mike Durant his time to shine on vocals. It's great. Uh, Really the last time on a Green Day album, other than the one single line that he gets on sex drugs and violence in Trey. that we get to see a Mike Durnt driven section of a song. So that's something I wish we would see more. That song is incredible. And all three of these songs are, they hold up even today. Like what are 12 years later, almost like almost what, 13 years later, almost now.
0: It's crazy. And, yeah.
1: Yeah. And these songs, they're still relevant because the way they wrote them, they aren't, political in terms of here's what's going on right now they work in any given like situation of you know unrest and just agitation and frustration and it's it's perfect they still hold up today and i would definitely have to put those three at my top
0: all right so those those are your, your top three songs off the album cool um my fifth question for you my guy is um, what were some of the themes on the album? Because you said you said once we said before that the album is broken up into three acts or three parts. Um, I know there's you said there's some some political stuff on the album, some certain lyrics. I mean, it came out in 2009. There was plenty of stuff going between, let's say, like American Idiot and this album. What were some of the themes? Would you say on this album, and what 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 are they?
1: So this album, it, it's not so much like American Idiot was, where it's a cohesive story going on. Um, You know, that's a pretty easy one to follow. It's some of the lyrics on American Idiot are pretty heavy handed, like, hey, this is how we feel about this. This album, not so much. There's definitely some songs where that comes out, like uh, East Jesus Nowhere. That's just like a song, like completely anti-organized religion. And it works great. It's a great song. It Live, that song was fantastic, too, the way that they played into their stage show with that whole thing. Um, you know, overall, that's ma- the main theme of the album is just just frustration with things that you see going on in the world, and then there's the whole I don't know if I'm gonna get into this now, but there's like the whole backing storyline of the Christian and Gloria stuff that plays in. So, songs like Love and a little bit of things like that here and there, yeah. but really, to me, what it comes down for thematically on this album is like the most personal lyrics that I think Billy has ever written in terms of a full album. Okay. He definitely got personal other times. And definitely there are some songs later in their career too, that I think might be a little more personal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But to me, this album was the one where I was like, wow, this is just him unloading like his own personal life onto these words, which, you know, all their albums were, but something about this album doing it, it was just very different. It felt very personal uh you could feel the frustration coming along and the production on this fantastic like everything about it worked great but in terms of the theme that's really it i think just frustration and the way the world is going
0: yeah i i I definitely see that now that you've pointed that out to me more and more um oh no question number six um, I noticed that there is some piano on this album. Now, being that Green Day was typically known as a hard-driving guitar-driven band, as someone who has played the piano at one point, my ears truly, um, what prompted Green Day to incorporate piano as well as other instruments into their work, being being that they're so guitar-driven for the most part?
1: So I think that really comes down to, like we talked about earlier, the influences on this album. Like when you have when you're taking from like the classic rock influences you know, I think at one point, if not mistaken, I think Mike had compared this album like thematically and inspiration-wise and songwriting-wise to Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. Okay. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I believe I remember that being the case. These old classic singer-songwriters, they incorporated all different instruments into their work. And I think that's something mm-hmm. Green Day really wanted to get into doing. You know, they proved that they could make these kind of, I don't want to say crazy, but like, because they're, you know, they're not like crazy when you compare it to some other artists out there, like your progressive metal and like your power metal, things like that. But when they write like these big anthems and epics, like Jesus of Suburbia and Homecoming, like they realize, wait, we can do this. Jesus of Suburbia, that's all.
0: Yeah.
1: My phone's ringing. You may have lost off.
0: You're good. Keep going.
1: All right. So, yeah, as I was saying, they uh, they proved that they could do it on American Idiot. So I think they really just wanted to get down and dial that up on this album and be like, hey, we showed we could do this. We're going to do it again. And in my opinion, I think it paid off. It worked great. Something, again, I wish they would do more now. Um. Mm we did get some on father of all some keys and like the background of some songs, whether I wouldn't say it worked nearly as well on that album.
0: Yeah. I agree but, with
1: that. You know, I would love for them to bring that back. And they did kind of on this, their newest single actually reminded me of something that we may have heard on a 21st century break on like album. So I think that really it's just them as they get older, being more willing to show those old influences that they have.
0: All right. Um, I just want to. Uh, you said something about uh, something about how what Mike Dern said at one point. I do remember reading something like that too, where he did compare it to not only uh, Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run, but I believe, I believe he also said Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell or something like that. I think he might have said something like that too. I could be wrong, but I read something like that as well, that he was comparing it to other songs like that yeah. or albums like that.
1: Yeah, and I mean it's a it's a great comparison too. I mean Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell is one of the most classic albums ever written. I mean, yeah, you know like that kind of music or not when you listen to that album it's like these are just great like perfectly written songs pretty much all the way through of that album and those songs they're not short those songs some seven plus minutes long you know and they're all great and i think that that's something that green day really wanted to just really focus on and write great songs for this album and not just great green day songs when you listen to this album these are all just Take the band out of it, take like any kind of like, I'm a fan of this band so I have to like this album. Take all that out of the equation, these are just well-written, like perfectly crafted songs. Mm-hmm. One exception to me being Christian's Inferno. I think that album, that song kind of sticks out like a sore thumb on the album. Uh, it's a good song, but I think it fits definitely fits more on their network side project, and I I have a feeling it was written originally for that and carried over. So that's a
0: whole other conversation. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I see where you're coming from, but the average person may be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, yeah. Now, being that it is coming off American Idiot and that this is their second quote unquote rock opera, I heard there's a story focused on the main two characters. Is, is that, is that, you said it's not entirely about Christian, I'm sorry, Christian and.
1: Um, Christian and Gloria.
0: And Gloria. Yeah. Like it's, it's not a, you said it's not, because I always thought when I listened to it personally, it's one of those albums, like you have to listen to it from start to finish and yeah. you listen to it and it tells us somewhat of a narrative, but I, I could tell it was looser than it, than American idiot. What could you tell me about like the, that thread, if you will?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that thread, <laughs> I think what they use those characters mainly for, rather than telling like a story, like American idiot was such a, Story like beginning to end mm-hmm. that you listen to it and you're like, okay, I know what's going on. Even to the point where they even made during the 21st Century Breakdown era, they made the American Idiot Broadway musical. Right. 21st Century Breakdown, you wouldn't be able to do that with to the extent that the American Idiot musical actually used songs from 21st Century Breakdown in it. Uh, in addition to the normal American song, like before Lobotomy was in there, uh, mm-hmm. 21 Guns was in there. I believe Last of the American Girls was in there as well. Okay. And really the songs, this album, I, I don't know if they really needed this thread for this album to work. Because when you listen through it, I agree with what you said. This album is definitely best listened to beginning to end. And you definitely feel as though there's like a conclusion, like a definitive conclusion to the album. Yeah. But there's no, it, at least in my opinion, when I listen to it, there's no real story with mm. the characters. They definitely use the characters to tie certain things together. Like, I mean, you have the both Viva La Glorias in there where they, they mention the characters throughout the album. Yeah. But I think they're more just to fit the theme of just, it's supposed to be like this, this couple that's, know in love dealing and also dealing with the frustrations of the world around them specifically when they wrote this in the post bush like early obama uh times and you know given everything that's happened since then this album still feels super relevant thematically and Mm -hmm. i just question that's one i love the storyline if like if, if you will with that I don't think they really needed it. I think that if they just left it as the songs, I think that some of the songs definitely needed it because, you know, people of Gloria, they're they're just mentioning the characters by name. I don't think Mm -hmm. it necessarily needed that storyline to be like a focus, like, look, they're writing another rock opera. I think that's where that came from mostly was they were trying to lean heavily into, well, American Idiot was a rock opera. We got to do it again. And they did it in what I think is a more effective way than American Idiot. That might be a little controversial. Mm -hmm. But American Idiot, I feel like, let's take Spotify, for example. I hate what Spotify did with American Idiot. Uh, I think, I don't know if iTunes did this as well, or Apple Music, I don't use that. But Spotify lumps songs together on American Idiot. Like, holiday and boulevard of broken dreams mm-hmm, yeah why they do this i don't i don't know they do fade into each other but they're not it's not like jesus of suburbia it's not one song they're two very different songs this album you couldn't do that with any of these songs it just wouldn't work uh this song this album has more playability in terms of if you want to throw green day songs on shuffle. I think that these songs are, they stand alone better than a lot of American Idiot does. So like, for example, if I put on Shuffle on Green Day on Spotify, and let's say, say Last Night on Earth comes on, probably mm. not going to skip it. Love that song. But now if Are We the Waiting comes on from American Idiot, probably going to be more inclined to skip that song. Yeah, it was, that song it works so well in the context of the album, and in the play, it, in terms of storytelling, it works fantastically. But when you like break it down, that song comes on. How often are people going to listen to "Are We the Waiting" on its own without Saint Jimmy directly after it? You know,
0: exactly. Yeah,
1: this album I feel like doesn't have that. Like, I feel like the theme it's there. And you can definitely tell listening front, to back, like they were going for this with these characters. I like I see the loose thread here, but it's not to the point of, I need to listen to this album like this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, just as a, as a follow-up to that, I mean, we, you would, you brought up a, two really good examples of like, uh, sorry, one really good example of how like, not two, sorry. With holiday into Boulevard or Broken Dreams on Spotify, and how those two are like are attached in the sense, except yep. on their greatest hits you know, package on yep. that album. But, um, but if you listen to Are We the Waiting into St. Jimmy, that those two, like I feel like a lot of people are just used to hearing those songs together in a sense. Whereas on this one, I, I, this one they did that they didn't do that with like uh, it's it, all these individual songs. But I will say this: I, I have listened to this um, several times from start to finish. One thing I just want to ask you is that some of the songs fade into each other. Like as one song ends, there's like another transitional sound into it. I thought that was the
1: girls into murder city is one of the best examples of that. Uh, Same thing. Last night on earth and tease Jesus nowhere. The transitions are fantastic on this album. I think the only one that you could do what they did with American idiot on would be last of the American Girls into Murder City because when Murder City starts, from a shuffle perspective, it does sound weird. I, I a will, little bit, yeah, I will hand it to that one because you know, like the the beeping that's going on at the end of Last of the American Girls into Murder City,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it it flows right into each other there. But as a whole, yeah, I think that this. Like the fades aren't as extreme as they are, and you know, on American Media, I wouldn't say they're extreme fades. I think it's just a weird choice on the record label or Spotify, whoever chose to do that. Yeah, um, no I way. think it's just a weird choice on their part.
0: Yeah, because because I mentioned their greatest hits when their greatest hits came out in what twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen? I forget what it was, um, twenty
1: seventeen or so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I remember that, and that they had like Holiday was its own track, and yep. Boulevard of Broken Dreams was his own track, and um, yeah, I mean, I I, I, and I and that proved to be successful. I mean, if you look at Spotify numbers, like you pointed out, their Spotify numbers for those individual tracks are so much higher compared yep. to the two put together. Which I you know I don't mind the two put together, like Holiday and Boulevard of Broken Dreams, is pretty cool to me. Oh, it's it's iconic. yeah, but them separate at the same time, I like that that they're separate though on that in particular uh, greater sits down which i like that too so um yeah.
1: like take it like this my i i don't know about you mm. i am personally so played out on boulevard broken dreams
0: yeah no i i i hear, completely hear you on that
1: <laughs> i have heard that song everywhere since like fourth grade <laughs> don't get me wrong it's a great song it it's overplayed for a reason mhm but if I never heard that song again, I'd be okay. Like, <laughs> for almost every time it comes on, I skip it. It's mm-hmm. great live. I love seeing it live. Yeah, yeah you can tell like the passion he has behind it. But man, I am so played out on that song. So sometimes I just want to hear "Holiday."
0: <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, this is a quick there's another question there about the, uh, the fade in and fade out. the album. and, um, um, one, one more question. Then I got a couple other follow-ups for there, if you don't mind. Um, so how to you being a listener of this album, you saw them on the tour as well. How does this album hold up to, hold up to you almost, almost a decade after it's been released? How does it hold up to you as a, as a listener?
1: As a listener, I think this album held up better than most albums from this time period. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, just based on when this album came out in my life, this is where most of the albums that really stuck with me through the years came from this time period, the late, mid to late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, You know, and this one holds up, I think, significantly better than most the production on this them working with Butch Vig is probably the best team up they could have ever had and you know for those that might not know Butch Vig also worked on like Nirvana's Nevermind and yeah. plenty of other massive albums. They've never worked with him again after this. I, I don't know why. I don't know if they've ever given a reason why if anyone's ever asked them. But his production made this album so good and it it just holds up even the production quality on it 13 years later with everything being even more digital now it still sounds fresh every time i hear it i just think if you showed me this song said this came out 12 13 years ago i'd be like wow that's surprising whereas Mm -hmm. let's take a couple years before this I want to say it was 2006. Like, let's take My Come Romance as the Black Parade. Another big, epic concept album. Again, amazing album. Incredible album. Huge album in my childhood. When I go back and listen to some of those songs, they feel more dated. You know, I, I don't know off the top of my head who produced that album. I don't know anything like that. But it just sounds so Or like mid 2000s. This album sounds fresh to this day and that's that's something that a lot of people can't do and I I gotta hand it to him just on that alone but in terms of everything else holding up this is still in my mind and it could just be you know nostalgia this is still to me what Green Day is to this day like let's look at their live shows I think they took really this is where they took off In terms of their live sets. I mean, this tour saw them breaking out different set lists just about every night. That's something that most, probably 95% of bands don't do. Most bands just pick, this is our set list. We're playing it the entirety of the tour. We might change it up once or twice. They were playing a full arena tour multiple legs in multiple different countries America I saw them here on two different legs and it was a completely different set list each time in the span of you know one year one summer was this one summer was a completely different setlist same album same tour but they had a full backdrop you know things going on like a whole stage show type thing yeah and they still managed to change it up and that's something that I think they let you know they were playing occasionally somebody said they play 30 songs really yeah, they were a playing long time. they were playing close to three hours on this tour and that's something their long sets did continue but really they have kind of gone down in terms of spontaneity uh, let's take hell omega for example yeah. every single night was the same set list and it was a it was great it was amazing to see them in a big stadium but every um, every night, the same set list. So if someone had spoiled it for you, you knew what you were getting. But you pretty much knew what you were getting anyway. It was only an hour and a half set list. They were going to play the hits. It's a big stadium tour. That's fine. But really, this era of Green Day, 20th century breakdown, is stuck in my head as this is peak Green Day. This is where... I want them to be, but I'll take anything they want to give me. So, I mean, really, when I hear this album, I think to this day, like, wow, that was a masterpiece of it, like, of an album, or just when I hear a song, masterpiece of a song.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I mean, I I, I was. I'm, I'm a little younger than you, but like I definitely understand where you're coming from like how it, it does hold up quite a bit I mean the production you mentioned Butch Vig Butch Vig was is known for Nirvana's Nevermind I mean at least in my book yeah. but he's also known for this and I'm surprised as well why Green Day hasn't chosen him to do any more uh, albums with him. I mean the I mean you could just you could tell the production was so different from American Idiot and Uno dos Trey and this album yeah. in the time span of like what 10, 12, 13 years.
1: Yeah, I mean, after this album, after Butch, they went, you know, they did the trilogy and that production was weird. The songwriting was there. The songwriting was good, but the production was oddly clean. Like, they tried to make they tried to go back to their old like, dookie, kerplunk roots a little bit. Yeah. But the production was like, clean and weird. And then Revolution Radio Amazing. That's probably honestly my favorite thing they've done since 20th Century Breakdown. Yeah. It had a lot of those epic, like back we're talking about, like the Who influence. Somewhere now, feels like a Who song. Mm. You know, Forever Now, another great epic by them. And they, if I remember correctly, they completely self-produced that one. Mm, uh, okay. And that had some weird production choices, like just volume levels being all over the place like if you put on the song too dumb to die you can hardly hear the intro and then it just blows out your speakers (laughs) so the idea of them and then father of all that's a whole nother can of worms uh they went butch walker for that one and good producer just not for not what i want from a this type of album like not what i want from a green day album a lot of overproduction and hand claps and stuff and very odd so i mean i don't know why they wouldn't go with butch big again i would love it i think it might have something to do with how dark of a time billy was in writing this album
0: oh yeah
1: i think that might have something to do with why we don't hear more of these songs live um you know this was the tour really where he was getting you know high and really drunk before every show um, this is where a lot of his substance abuse problems really came in and messed everything up. And then they carried over to the trilogy, which, you know, we all know the iHeart media meltdown moment and his rehab yeah. and kind of messed up the, you know, the promotion of the, the trilogy. Uh, but really that all stemmed from the writing being stressful of this album and everything that came along with it. And he you know, he was even saying he would he'd be messed up before just about every show on this tour. So I mean, that might be some of the that might be part of the reason we've seen completely different well, not completely different, but I mean like stagnant shows with predictable set lists since then. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah. he might not want to revisit. I know like the song Restless Heart Syndrome, for example. That's one that I remember reading him saying was deeply personal to him. Uh he doesn't really play it live. He doesn't really have a desire to. And just recently I was reading something about him saying that 21st century breakdown is probably his favorite Green Day album. Not bad. But I don't think we'll ever get to see many of the songs live outside of Know Your Enemy and Twenty One Guns.
0: Yeah. I mean that's I was just that's one last thing I was gonna ask you was I mean, the hella megator. I mean that that was my first exposure to them seeing them live. So I mean yeah. I can't really judge myself on like a three-hour show of theirs, you know, whatever, like you have. But um, I will say that they, they did play Know Your Enemy, and they played – and I've looked at their set list from previous tours yeah. like Revolution Radio and other stuff like that, and uh, even, the, even the trilogy. They played Know Your Enemy a lot, and they 21 mm-hmm. Guns is the other one they play acoustically. But my another thing is why – and I, I think I actually – before we even decided to do this, why do they cut the last verse off? Do we have any idea why they do that live?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I have always – wondered why because they used to play the full song back during the actual 21st Century Breakdown tour which made sense and then they started cutting it down okay on this tour on the Hell Omega they played more of it I don't know if they played the full full song but they played more than they usually did
0: okay
1: I don't know what the decision factor on that was but it's always bothered me
0: Um. yeah, because thing I know, is just someone who's listened to the song numerous times, numerous times, and all this stuff. Uh, they played Twenty One Guns. They they cut it off after the guitar solo before the last verse and the chorus. They'll, before that last little bit, the last yeah. minute of the song, why would they? I, and then they went right into Minority. I mean, yeah. I get it, but like I don't get it. I think, <laughs> I think
1: it comes down to them using it as a bit of a transition song live. Mm. Uh, I'm trying to remember. When I saw them, because I saw them twice on the Century Breakdown tour, saw them once on the Trilogy tour. I don't remember much about that show, to be honest, other than they did play quite a bit of Trilogy songs, which was great, but the crowd was noticeably not into it, mm. which kind of brought the whole energy level down. Like I remember they played X-Kid, which is one of my favorite Green Day songs, but the crowd yeah. was just really not into it, and like the whole energy that like, came down it was really weird. That was also the only show where they did not end with Good Riddance, and they didn't play it at all. They played Brutal Love, which one of my favorite Green Day songs, but weird choice. So you know more weird choices. But I trying to remember on that night, saw it three times on the Revolution Radio Tour, but I can't remember what they played after Twenty One Guns. I don't remember. They may have just you've been using it as a transition song acoustically for that.
0: Yeah. I know, I know there is video of it online at one point or another on the on the last U.S. leg part of it. They were doing an encore of Acoustic 21 Guns in the Good yeah. time of your life.
1: Yeah, that's what they were doing. Yeah. Okay. They would do was, the Acoustic 21 Guns. This is the first time in years. I don't remember if it was the 21st Century Breakdown Tour or the Trilogy Tour, but this tour, Hell Omega, is the first time in years that they'd actually played 21 Guns with the full band. They'd had had actually been playing was- it acoustically.
0: Yeah, cool. I read somewhere that when they opened up the Hell Mega Tour in Texas, I believe they actually said that this version of 21 Guns was the first time it was used since 2010.
1: Yeah, of that, that version. right. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. 21st Century Breakdown Tour. Because, yeah, after that, they acoustics. Like, yeah,
0: yeah, because I guess they were trying to go for like the hits, and they, of course, they were, but I mean, that, yeah. but that that like live rendition of it was a blessing. true. Cause I mean, I didn't, I was a lot. Yeah. I mean, I was like 11 years old in 2009. So I don't, I don't really remember a lot of it, but yeah. So that's me. Um, Overall, like uh, just overall impressions. I mean, personally, uh, for me personally, I do love the album quite a bit. It's, it's definitely up there for me as A well. uh, uh, phenomenal work that Green Day did. I mean, overall your overall like last, last impressions of it. What do you, what do you got?
1: Last impressions is, Green Day, if you ever hear this, do this again. <laughs> uh, I'll take whatever they want to throw at us at, at this point. I, you know, there hasn't been a single thing they've done that I haven't liked. Uh, full disclosure on that. Even some songs that people hate. I've loved, I think I've had maybe one song that I was like, eh, I don't know about that. But this album is so good. And this whole era of the band, down to everything, the songwriting. The aesthetics during this el- during this era. Like they're even down to their outfits were so good. The stage show was so cool. The everything about it, the artwork, it's I don't know what it was about it, but everything, whoever is doing the art for them at this point, hit the nail on the head. Not just the album artwork, the liner notes, the t-shirts from this time, everything about it was so good and so iconic that I I always find myself wishing for this to come back. And you know, I know the era is over. It's been over a decade now. So wishful thinking. But this album is so iconic and you know, they were they won a Grammy for this.
0: Yeah, won best rock album of the year. Best
1: rock album. I think probably their last Grammy. Um you know, I could be wrong, might have gotten something after this, but I can't think of what they would have. Um, you know, also nominated for plenty of other awards. It's everything about it was such a great time to be a Green Day fan. I remember uh, conveniently, I was homesick from school and Know Your Enemy dropped. Just, I had no idea about it. So it's pretty much out of nowhere to me. And I remember thinking, wow, I don't really like this song. And I was a little disappointed. But then I got the album when it came out. The day it came out, I bought the album and listened to it for just weeks. And the first listen through the album, I was like, wow, I was wrong about this album. I was wrong to be concerned. Because... Let's be honest. A lot of people have probably only heard Know Your Enemy and 21 Guns from this album. Yep. (laughs) Maybe maybe East Jesus Nowhere. That was like the third single, but never really went anywhere. And maybe 21st Century Breakdown, and Last of the American Girls were also minor singles. But really, Know Your Enemies, What People Know. And that song, now I like it. At the time, when it first came out, I didn't like it. it. Took me a while to warm up to it. It's super repetitive. I understand why people wouldn't like it. It was a terrible choice for a lead single from this album. But mm-hmm. if that's all you've heard from this album, I encourage you to go back, listen to this whole thing and just, there's no way you could tell me afterwards that it's not a work of art. Like, it's so masterfully crafted that I haven't heard an album like it since. Like, no album since this has, like, grasped me and been like, this is a work of art. Like, this is a masterpiece. Hopefully one day one will from any band, but still waiting. Mm -hmm.
0: I don't blame you there. I hope that, like, I hope that all other people are listening and watching and understanding that you know this. This is definitely a not many albums come out like this. Every not many albums come out like this come out like this that often. I mean, this is we're yeah. lucky you even got this. So I
1: mean, we're when I look at it, albums like this are like once a decade, and you know yeah. now we live in a we now live in a time that's. The album takes a backseat. Most artists nowadays are just doing singles and EP here or there. And then some of them are just like, oh, here's an album. It's a compilation of all the singles I put out recently. So, what's rare about Green Day and this album is this was their really third massive album in America, like Dookie, 94. Huge album, American Idiot 2004, massive album. That alone, having a massive album in two separate decades, it's so rare for a band to do. So for them then to follow up American Idiot with another iconic album, it's near impossible. It's something that so few bands can do and stay relevant. Even to this day, you go to a Green Day concert, you see how relevant they still are. Even if you don't hear people on the streets talking about them, you go to a Green Day concert, you'll see people all ages there, from people in like their 60s to little kids like five years old just sitting there singing every word. It's their music is timeless, and I think this album was really—I don't want to say the last great Green Day album because they're—they're they're all great and Revolution Radio was fantastic. But I think this was the last like mainstream Green Day album that really brought the most new fans in.
0: I tend to agree with that. I want to I, I thank you by the way so much for coming on. I know I've wanted to do this I want to do this for a while with you. Yeah, uh, it was like a, Yeah, I mean, and if you want to hey, if you want to come back anytime we could definitely do like a dookie or american or, or anything else you wanted to if you have any ideas let me know i'm more than happy to do this with you if, if you want to do it so
1: yeah absolutely so
0: but that is going to do it for us thank you to, to my good man kyle green day fanatic over here he is he is one of a kind and i want to thank him so much for coming on and even sharing his light for his favorite album of all time thank you so much for watching and listening you guys are outstanding and we'll see you guys next time so see you later